0: From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod. I'm Brittany Luce. So, I've been thinking a lot lately about health. Specifically, how our healthcare system fails black women, how we're so often dismissed, and how our pain isn't taken seriously. I think about Serena talking about her postpartum complications and Beyonce opening up about her emergency C-section. And for me personally, it's come up a lot just because, you know, getting older and going to the doctor more. But it's hard to find doctors I can trust. I mean, I just found a Black woman OBGYN that I actually like in my early 30s. And if I'm honest... It's hard to hear over and over again all the ways Black women are consistently overlooked, not just socially, politically, or in the workplace, but in life-or-death situations. But recently, I listened to a story that actually made me feel hopeful, because it really focused on how one Black woman listened closely to her own body and then made her doctors and surgeons listen, too. The story I listen to is from a podcast called Bodies from KCRW. In every episode, one person tries to solve a mystery about their own body, like why sex is so painful or why hair would suddenly be growing on a woman's cheeks. The episode I love follows a woman named Kalalia, who tries to figure out why her period is causing her so much pain. By the end, I wanted every person who has a uterus or knows someone with a uterus pretty much everyone to hear it. And I wanted to hear more from Kalalia on how we can better advocate for our own wellness. So I brought her into the studio to share some of that advice. But first, we're gonna play Kalalia's story. It's called Bleeding. The host of Bodies, Allison Barringer, helps narrate Kalalia's story. And she's the first voice you'll hear. Kalalia's story begins
1: in the same place that womanhood is said to begin, the first period. And for Kalalia, it set the stage for a mystery that would come to dominate her very experience of womanhood. It was 1982, and Kalalia was 11. She was small and slender then, just like she is today. It was summertime in Pittsburgh.
2: A bunch of my friends and family, we were on my grandmother's block. They were playing the
1: traffic cop game where everyone's running, and then the traffic cop says...
2: Red light, green light, yellow light, stop! Stop, 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 stop. And before I'm at the finish line, I felt like this weird sensation, like this, you know, wet, gooey feeling between my legs. So I ran to my grandmother's house, and I just ran to the bathroom, pulled down my shorts, and... I saw this red splotch of blood on my panties, and my grandmother was like, what's going on? I said to her, like, I think I'm bleeding. And she just grabbed some toilet tissue and balled it up in her hand and handed it to me and was like, put this on your panties, like, put this between your legs. And she told me, go sit down in the, the back room. My grandmother's back room was small, and all of the furniture was like way too big for the space. And there was this huge couch covered in plastic, but I knew better to sit on that couch um, because if you were 30 years or younger, that couch was pretty much off limits. If there was ever a time to sit on a plastic couch, I would think that time would be now. She just pointed to this red plastic stool and just told me to go sit my butt down. Your mother won't be home for a few hours now. Just watch some TV until she gets here. From that point on, I've just felt like I had to be still. My friends were out playing. I was indoors, and I was sitting there and just waiting. A lot of things changed on that day for me. During her
1: teens and early adulthood, Kalalia's life and her period were pretty normal. But that silence and stillness that surrounded her first period would return. She was in her late 20s, living in New York City, and her periods had gradually started getting more heavy, more painful.
2: I just had this ritual it was my period ritual like I would know like it's coming because I started getting cramps a couple days before and I would just kind of like go into planning mode movies, music, food, water granny panties, castor oil towel, heating pad and the most important item stay free long overnight maxi pads with wings. If my peer came on a Friday and I had plans on Saturday, I might cancel them. If I had on white sheets on my bed, I might remove those sheets, put on like my older sheets. You know, your friends can say, I'm sorry, let me know if you need anything, but you are the one laid on top of red towels in the dark and just saying, just get to day three and all this will be over and then you'll have Another 28 days. 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 Another 28, days. Another 28, days. Another 28 days. I didn't know enough to, to know that what was going on with me was more serious. It started getting so bad that she'd have to miss work on the first, sometimes
1: even the second day of her cycle. And then one day, she was having lunch with a co-worker.
2: This co-worker was a white woman. And she was like, yeah, I've always wanted to ask you about that. Like, I, I can't believe that you have to miss work, you know, that's horrible. And I was like, you don't ever have really bad periods. She was like, no, like three, four days, done. It's not such a big deal. I think that was the realization for me that even though women didn't like having their periods, it wasn't as dire of an issue.
1: And as she started having this conversation with more and more of her friends, she started noticing a pattern.
2: It definitely occurred to me that the women who were dealing with period problems were all Black women. Granted,
1: Kalia says most of her friends are Black, so it's not a perfect sample, but still. And I think we often look to the women around us to figure out what's normal, what's healthy. But when those women are suffering from a similar pain, it can be a dangerous thing to calibrate our health to. It can normalize something that's not normal, not healthy. And as Kalalia would later figure out, this collective experience of heavy periods was a symptom of an even more menacing condition affecting Black women. But for the time being, she continued with her life, her period ritual becoming more and more elaborate. As she reached her early 30s, her period only got worse,
2: and the list of places where Kalalia bled grew. I've bled on various bike seats. I've bled in the movie theater. New York City subway. The Salvation Army. In my best friend's living room. In my boyfriend's bed. On the beach. In the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, a lot of places. A lot of places.
1: But in spite of all this, things were going well for her. She got really into vegetarian cooking and studying nutrition. She started traveling to West Africa, Mexico, the Dominican Republic. She also became a yoga instructor. And then one day, she fainted, hit her head on the way down. An ambulance took her to the hospital, and the doctor started asking her a series of questions.
2: Have you bumped your head lately? Do you play any sports? How about your period? Is it normal? And I said to him, well, what is normal? You know, I don't know, I guess I do have a fair amount of bleeding and pain during my cycle, but doesn't every woman?
1: And sure, she knew from her coworker that not every woman has periods like hers. But still, the doctor never used the word abnormal when talking about her periods. The doctor ordered a series of tests, and after a couple hours, he came back and he tells her, So it looks like you're anemic anemic and i had never heard that word before i don't think the reason that kalalia fainted was because she was anemic so the doctor prescribed some iron pills but the doctor didn't ask her any more questions about her period and so kalalia left the hospital without knowing why she was anemic
2: i don't think he connected because he didn't dig deep enough you know how life is you just you you go on a lot of people would say like How could you live like that for so many years? For me, I guess I just accepted that this was my thing, you know? Like, some people have warts, some people have chronic back pain. It didn't feel like there was anything I could really do about it. I was taking the iron. I was trying to get as much rest as I could.
1: But rest was hard to come by. Not long after the fainting incident, she opened a cafe in Brooklyn. And the excessive bleeding, the pain, and the weakness from the anemia, she just dealt with it.
2: It's incredible what you get used to, how you adjust, you know, to your own struggle, to your own pain. But then the blood clot started—a round, globby, very dark red blob. Sometimes it would be, like, very small, like the size of, like, raisins or peanuts. And the first time I remember, I was taking a shower. Like, it felt like I was about to, like, push out a teeny baby or something. I was like, uh, what's that pressure? What's that pressure? And a blood clot like the size of an orange. And I had to, like, put my finger in the blood clot to get it to go down the drain.
1: A couple months later, Kalalia had a pelvic ultrasound. The doctor handed her the results, and he told her, you have fibroids. And while she's trying to take in this new information, she's also trying to read the results. And the findings were that the uterus measures... 11. And so it's hard to fully process when the doctor starts explaining what fibroids are. Like when he tells her that fibroids are benign tumors that can grow in and around the uterus and that, on rare occasions, they can be cancerous. But for the most part, fibroids are non-cancerous
2: growths. These are diffused areas of heterogeneity within the myometrium. He tells her how the number of fibroids
1: that a person has can vary. it at least three masses or a C within the uterus. The size can vary, too, from a few millimeters to the size of a baseball. to of women will get fibroids at some point during their reproductive years, normally in their 30s or 40s. A woman can have fibroids and not feel any negative effects, or they can cause all the things that Kalalia has been going through. She had a bunch of small fibroids that were pushing on the walls of her
2: uterus, which was causing her uterus to expand. The uterus measures 11.2 by 8.7 by 9.2 centimeters.
1: A normal uterus is the size of a fist, but cololeas had swollen to the size of two fists. And when fibroids push into the wall of the uterus, it bulges out and there's more surface area for the buildup of tissue or endometrium, the lining that's shed during a menstrual cycle. So if there's a higher amount of surface area, there's more tissue that builds up, more tissue to be shed, and as a result, more bleeding. So that's what causes the excessive menstrual bleeding, the pain, and the anemia.
2: The doctor said he sees us a lot with people like me, black women. Because he's a black doctor and most of his patients are black, I believe him. I wanted to know more, like, why was this happening to me? What was going on? What caused them? But there didn't seem to be an explanation. It was more like, here are your results. So if you Google fibroids, like Kalalia did, you'll find that
1: African-American women who have fibroids are three times more likely to develop severe symptoms as compared to white women. And if you keep Googling, you'll find studies linking this trend from everything from diet to genetics to even the use of hair relaxers. Here's Dr. Abby Stewart, a researcher at the Mayo Clinic.
3: So we don't really know what causes fibroids. Um, It's really amazing given how uh, many women have them. For many years, we just kind of relied on hysterectomy as a one-size-fits-all treatment um, and didn't investigate the the basic um, biology and epidemiology. Uh, so that that there are multiple risk factors that are associated with fibroids, but nothing that really uh, can tell us why there's such a big disparity between black and white women. But there's also some evidence that the experience of stress and racism may actually be tied to fibroid risk. Um, Uh, various kinds of stress, including racism, can change uh, biology, that stress hormones go up, uh, that that can have an effect on multiple body systems.
1: We talked to a couple doctors about this, and it's worth noting that there isn't enough data to scientifically prove direct causation between racism and fibroids. However, this connection between experiencing racism, chronic stress, and its effect on the body is part of a growing body of research. And that research
2: really resonated
1: with Kalalia. Black
2: bodies, Black people, Black women are... or just not as important as other people in this country. When I was a little girl... There wasn't Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, but my mother would say that we were going to stay home that day, so we would watch a series called Eyes on the Prize. I know the one thing we did right Was the day we started to fight Keep your
4: eyes on the prize
2: Hold on And watching that, there was a story about a, a little boy named Emmett Till. A lot of people know this this boy's story by now.
3: On August 21st, 1955, two teenagers from Chicago boarded a train and traveled south to visit family in Mississippi.
2: And apparently the story is that this woman, a white woman, said that he whistled to her or flirted with her or something like that. And that night, her husband... And her brothers showed up at the house where Emmett Till was staying, banged on the doors.
3: Four days later, Emmett Till's body was found in the Tallahatchie River.
2: With a cotton gin machine around his neck, swollen body, he had been shot. This is a 14-year-old boy. And that is a story that I watched when I was like... 12 or 13, to have that knowledge that something like that could happen to somebody that looked like my brother, and as I understand more about the body and our connection to spirit, to watch that during a time where my reproductive organs were forming as I was moving into puberty, how can I not have stress, internal stress? from just knowing that my skin could get me killed. And so how, how can that not affect my cycle? How can that not affect how I develop as a woman? I think pain is passed down. Pain is passed down. As Kalalia sat
1: in the doctor's office with the results in her hand, trying to process her new diagnosis, the doctor told Kalalia her options. They could try uterine embolization, a less invasive procedure, but there was the risk of infection and changes in sexual functioning, and it's not always effective. They could try a myomectomy, a surgery to remove the fibroids, but there was a good chance that the fibroids would eventually just grow back. One of the scary things about fibroid surgery is that oftentimes the surgeon can't know the severity of the fibroids before opening up the uterus, so you might go into the operating room not knowing if you'll come out with your uterus intact. And then there was also the option of choosing to have a hysterectomy, which is where they take everything out, everything, your uterus, your ovaries, your fallopian tubes, everything. Kalalia was not ready to take those chances. She did not want to have surgery.
2: I didn't really have a lot of faith in Western medicine overall. For things like this, Like it was just very clear that there, there hadn't been enough research or interest And so she decided to take the last and final option.
1: No procedure, no surgery. By this point, Kalalia had spent years studying yoga and nutrition. And so she decided she was going to use everything that she knew about the body, her body, and that she was going to fight these fibroids herself.
2: I felt like I had the power just like my body created them. I believed that I could get rid of them, that I could heal myself. I really, truly believe that we are powerful in that way.
1: And so she went into healing mode. She ate raw calf's liver. She tried fasting, raw foods, acupuncture, Chinese herbs. She tried everything. And along the way, she saw improvements, like when she started doing Reiki, a Japanese energy healing practice. And she went from having pain 21 days each month to only three days of pain each month. Or like the time when she went in for an ultrasound and it showed that her uterus had actually shrunk a little bit in size.
2: That gave me a lot of hope in terms of, like, me being a part of the process to heal myself. But I was exhausted, you know, and I didn't feel like I was a part of the world anymore. And for every gain she made through all of her efforts, the fibroids would inevitably retaliate. The worst pain that I experienced was this feeling of a hot needle, like, being inserted into my vagina. I would sometimes be walking down the street, and I would literally have to stop and, like, hold on to something. It was a reminder that the fibroids were in control. I remember calling my mother one night, I was in tears, crying really hard, and I confessed to her that I was thinking of killing myself. I didn't really feel like I had a a future. I, I kept thinking about the worst case scenario, which was having a hysterectomy. I wasn't ready, I just wasn't ready.
0: After the break, Callea prepares for battle. This episode is brought to you by Ascension. A better you starts with better hydration. Ascensia is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's ninety nine point nine percent pure with a pH of nine point five or higher. Essentia overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com
2: invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
0: Welcome back. Before the break, Kalalia felt like the fibroids were controlling her life. Still, she wasn't ready for surgery. She kept thinking about the worst case scenario, Having a hysterectomy. I'll let Allison take it from here. She was tired of suffering so much. And managing
1: her fibroids was draining out what little energy she had. Then something clicked in her. If this was going to be her life, then why not live it in a paradise?
2: I felt so isolated that I didn't think it would be, like, such a big deal if I left the country, you know? Like, to live in a place that I wanted to live in. I figured that if I wanted drastic results, that I needed to make a drastic change. And so in
1: 2011, she gave up her life in New York and moved on her own to Bahia, Brazil.
2: It's a very magical, beautiful, special place. I haven't felt anything like it that had all the things that are really important to me, like nature, happy people. Uh, brown people, the ocean, good food, and, and the can, oh, I can't forget music. I fell in love with Brazilian music.
1: The first week she arrived, her period came. It was
2: time for her period ritual. But on this day, I just was like, I can't stay at home. And so I took my bathing suit, I walked towards the ocean, It's only me on this beach. I took off my bikini bottoms and I walked into the ocean really slowly and I was bleeding at the time, you know, and I just kept walking and going deeper and deeper and deeper and asking the ocean and asking the universe to please just cleanse me, like to rid me of this pain, to stop the bleeding. I don't know if I was asking for a miracle, but I just needed a reprieve. I I did bleed in the ocean and I just, I couldn't stop, like I just felt very alive and it was the first time that I felt like healthy.
1: Living in Brazil, Kalalia did start feeling more healthy and she had less pain.
2: She was learning Portuguese and she joined an all women's capoeira team. Capoeira is a Brazilian martial art that some enslaved Africans would practice together on plantations. They would play music and appear as if they were dancing, but what they really were doing was building strength.
1: Kalalia starts building strength too, and after months of training, it was finally time for the baptism, the batijado. To receive the next chord, kind of like a belt in karate, you have to go up against a more skilled caparista.
2: So during the batizado, you wear white, all white. So on the day of my batizado, I wake up and I got my period. So I just need to prepare myself I take out one Brazilian maxi pad, which are no match for stay free maxi long overnight with wings, and I place it on my panty. And then I take three more maxi pads and stick it on top of that one. And then for extra measure, I insert one supersized tampon. And then I put on my white pants, white t shirt, and grab my red hoodie. It was my turn. We shook hands, bowed, and began. You have to prove that you know the various moves. So, the foundation of capoeira is jenga. That's where you rock back and forth. So, it's like, um, jenga, jenga. Jenga, and I'm moving, and then I decide, okay, I'm going to go with my next move, Skiva, and then that's good, great, Jenga, everything's going really well. And then I decide, okay, I got to do something a little bit more creative and show off So I decided to do a Maya lua. And it's basically where you kick one of your legs in like a circular motion. In my first mea lua, I felt this like push in my womb. It's okay, I keep going. Do another mea lua, go down skiva, jinga, jinga, get up again, one more, mea and bam. I can feel it. By this time, I know what's happening. I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding because I can see it on the faces of my fellow capristas the Mestri who I'm playing with, the master, he stops. And I just run. I grab my red sweatshirt and I wrap it around my waist and I just kneel down so to hide the bottom half of my body. She got her green cord that day,
1: but within a few months she was very anemic. Too weak to practice,
2: dizzy all the time, and afraid she'd faint again. I realized that it was time to go back to the States that I had to do something about it and that maybe surgery was the way. I had always feared that having surgery could mean me losing my uterus. And it's crazy because I actually never, not never, but I I wasn't interested in having children. But I wanted to come to that conclusion and to make that decision on my own. I didn't want anyone to make it for me. I was a 42-year-old woman, so the likelihood of me having children was very unlikely. So what was I holding on to?
1: I think Kalaliyah was holding on to more than having children. She was holding on to her power to control her body, to have agency over her organs. And in delaying surgery for so long, while of course it meant years of pain, it also brought her to a place where she felt like she could do this surgery on her own terms. She was ready. It was time to get the fibroids out. She moved back to New York. She did her research, carefully chose a doctor, a woman, and she made an appointment.
2: So I told her, if I'm going to have surgery, I need to be clear about what's most important to me. She opened up her notebook and read her surgery wish list to the doctor. I'd like to have a normal to strong libido. I'm okay with not having children. I really would prefer a vaginal procedure, please. No cutting my stomach. I really want to be able to wear a bikini one day in the near future. The doctor looked her in her eyes when she spoke. Kalalia knew
1: she was listening. The doctor ordered some pre-surgery blood work. The results showed that her anemia was back, and she was sent to get a blood transfusion right away. This would be her third blood transfusion in five years. Finally, they set the date for the surgery. And then Kalia started to very intentionally visualize the surgery.
2: I would sit in silence a lot and really try to have a conversation with my womb. I remember hearing a voice say, it's not going to be easy. The morning
1: of the surgery, Kalalia met with a team of three women doctors who would be performing the surgery. She gathered them around her and looked into their eyes.
2: I said, okay, this is what's probably gonna happen. You're not gonna be able to get it out. The fiber, it's not gonna be able to come out of my body. So I want you guys to look at each other, take a deep breath three times, look at each other and try it again. And if you could just do that three times, Look at each other, take three deep breaths, try again. Look at each other, three deep breaths, keep trying. You're going to be able to get, but it's not going to be easy. If after the third time you look and I'm losing blood and it doesn't feel like I'm going to make it through, cut me. But please take your time. We can do this together. And we put our hands together. <laughs> and I said, we can do this. I love all All of you, I don't even know you very well, but I have so much respect for the work you do. And they were like, okay, (laughs) we're gonna do it. And we hugged, and then we put me on the gurney. He said, what do you want to listen to? We can listen to music. And I said, Brazilian music, for sure. (laughs) And yeah, and next thing you know I was asleep. I woke up and they were over me and they looked at me over the bed and said, you were right. It was so hard, but we did what you told us to do. We took a deep breath and we took our time and we got it out. So you had a vaginal, we didn't have to cut you. I felt so connected to humanity and to these women and to my own body. I felt like I can do it.
1: It's been five years since Kalaliyah had surgery. Today, she is healthy and pain-free. No more period rituals, no more stay-free, long, overnight maxi-pads with wings.
0: Hallelujah! Thank you so much for joining us today in the studio.
2: Thank you, thank you, Brittany, for having me. I'm happy to be here. I love the nod. Thank you. I love what you're
0: doing? Thank you. We're trying. Yeah. <laughs> you made a really compelling story that we have just shared with our listeners uh, about your, you know, your personal journey um, dealing with fibroids over the past 10 years. Yeah. You know, we get to the end of the story, and, you know, the last thing that we hear from you is that, you know, you're pain-free. Mm. How does it feel to be pain-free?
2: It's it's otherworldly, you know. Every now and then I remark and think, oh, like there was a time that, like, I was not functioning, that I was barely functioning. Mm. It's re- interesting how human beings adapt. You know, I adapted to the pain, mm-hmm. and now I adapt to, like, being well the majority of the time, mm. physically, I feel that I can do almost anything. Like I went camping for the first time in my life. I'm 47. Mm-hmm. I went camping for the first time in my life um, for eight days, me and my partner, and it's something that I couldn't even think about doing before surgery. Mm you know, when I was having extreme heavy periods and pain. To be out in nature and not have access to a decent bathroom and not have the comfort of my bed, mm-hmm. and you know, it wouldn't even happen.
0: You know, in the piece, the outcome of the surgery or what really happened in the surgery was left kind of ambiguous. Why was that?
2: Well, because I had thought and decided that I had shared a great deal of information about my my life you know I mean you know about my first period when I was 11 years old Mm
4: -hmm.
2: so I just felt like I don't I really liked the idea of just leaving it Mm -hmm. where the ending was still mine you know that it still belonged to me and I had ownership over the details that I shared in the story
0: it's kind of like your decision to to only share so much, it does kind of mirror have like the same agency that you had over your body when you went into surgery. Definitely. Know? Definitely. So, you've basically had to figure out how to navigate a system that's not really made to like advocate for people who look like us. You know what I mean? The medical system. Do you have any advice to pass on to other black patients, whether they're people that are struggling with fibroids or some other medical issue?
2: Take your time, Mm -hmm. you know, um, to be as prepared as you are for a job interview or for a date when you're going to see a medical professional. Mm -hmm. To get not only second opinion, but to get third and fourth opinions. Uh, Also, most importantly, is to trust your gut and your intuition. I have gone into a doctor's office and just cringed like something happened, like my heart gets tight Mm -hmm. because this person's bedside manner or they wouldn't look me in the eye or they don't even introduce themselves or just assume I know who they are. Mm. We need to be respectful always to other human beings and to medical professionals. What they do is phenomenal, but we also need to command respect. Please look me in the eye. You know My name is Kalalia. What is your name? And just let them know, hey, I'm here. I deserve to be respected and heard.
0: You've really shared with this story and like and really opened yourself up and opened up a conversation. Um I think in a medium where where conversations like these aren't aren't happening super often, especially among black women. Like what kind of conversations are you having with friends and family about fibroids?
2: Yeah, you mean now that the story yeah, is out. Yeah, now there. that the story's come out. Oh, wow. I mean up until very recently I was getting a message or an email like daily since the episode um came out and from a few family members wow. who expressed to me that they had issues with fibroids or they had had a hysterectomy, a partial hysterectomy. Mm. Yeah, it's it's been revelatory in terms of I am just learning about my family's health history mm. as a result of doing this story. Mm-hmm which you know I would encourage people or any anyone you know but women in particular to have conversations with their their mothers, their aunties, their grandmothers about their reproductive health, their health histories and and to get that information, you know, now like sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, it's um I'm really glad that you share that I have, like, a, an older relative in my family that passed away from a cancer that wasn't even properly diagnosed. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like I don't—it's that it's a part of my health history that I have to include. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't even know if the level of medical care that she received was—do you know what I'm saying? Like, it was adequate. Yeah, yeah it was ad- adequate to even give her a proper diagnosis, which then affects me and, you know, and, and trying to talk to, you know, our doctors about, you know, what— we might have running through our bloodline. We don't even know. So having those honest conversations, I think is so, 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 so important. Yeah. What is the most important thing that you think that Black women need to know about fibroids or dealing with pain? The most important thing I really think would be
2: doing um, a self-study of sorts or like self-evaluation, meaning how are you living your life? What are the lifestyle choices you are making, the daily habits that you have that could contribute to your healing or not being healed, you know? And healing doesn't always mean, oh, my fibroids are gone. Healing can mean just having a better attitude Mm. about where you are and having gratitude that it's not much worse. You know, if you wake up and you're like, oh. I need to lose weight. I'm tired. Those should be replaced with positive things where, thank you, I have body weight to hold on to. I have a roof over my head. No matter what was going on with me, I would wake up every morning and say, give thanks, I have all of my five senses. I'm alive.
0: Well, Kalia... Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for making the story, and thank you so much for sharing and for coming in and talking to us today.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brittany. I really appreciate being here. Yeah, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. You
0: too. I'm going to the doctor today, actually. Are you excited? Yep, black doctor, black lady, ob Oh, really? You should
2: send, <laughs> yes. give me your referral, please, because I need another doctor. My doctor's, like, aging out. I got you, I got you. And <laughs> my other on one...
0: Kalalea's story came to us from the Bodies podcast. Bodies is produced by Allison Behringer, and this episode was also produced by Kalalea. Editorial advising by Sharon Mashhehey, Caitlin Prest, Camila Kerwin, and Kirsten Lepore. Thanks also to Whitney Henry Lester, Shakita Pascal, and Caitlin Pierce, who provided feedback on this episode. Original score and sound design by Dara Hirsch. Bodies is made with support from KCRW's Independent Producer Project. Special thanks to managing editor Kirsten Lepore, as well as Nick White and the KCRW team. This episode of The Nod was produced by me, Brittany Luce, Eric Eddings, and Kate Parkinson-Morgan. Our senior producer is Sara Abdurahman. It was edited by Emmanuel Berry and Jorge Just. Engineering by Cedric Wilson. Our theme music is by Khalid B. For a full list of music credits, visit our website at gimletmedia.com slash The Nod. We'll also have a link to the Bodies Facebook group, which has resources to learn more about fibroids and the effects of racism on health. And if you like Bodies, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give the show some love. It definitely deserves it.